Amen, amen. Well, I want you to go ahead and open up your Bibles once again to Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2, and it's in Luke chapter 2 where we find uh, uh, what is really the most popular version of the uh, Christmas story. We also find it there in uh, Matthew chapter 1, but in Luke chapter 2 is usually uh, the text of Scripture that is usually read during Christmas time, and we uh, see uh, the most quotes of it. And so as we look here on the Word of God, uh, we're going to be looking at the actual birth of Jesus Christ. We've been talking about the past uh, several weeks. We've been uh, talking about uh, in the chronological order that, that birth narrative of uh, Jesus Christ and so how all of the events they didn't just happen but God's sovereign hand was in control of every single aspect of it amen and so this morning what we're going to look at is the sovereignty of God and the birth of Jesus Christ so this morning we're going to actually look at the birth of Jesus Christ as we look at Luke chapter 2 beginning in verse 1 and so as we look at the birth of Jesus Christ and we see the sovereignty of God's hand and what in the world does that mean that that word sovereignty it just means that God's in control. Amen. God is in absolute control. We looked at his family and how God used his family and that genealogy and all the way down through that genealogy and how God uh, uh, called out Abraham out of Ur and how God used each one of those members of his family. And, and uh, we, we looked at the circumstances of how God called last week. We looked at how God called Joseph and how God called Mary to be the, the servants that, that God chose for them to be in that great task that God chose for them to have, but now we're going to look at the actual birth in this, and it's, I think one of the greatest areas that we see the sovereign hand of God in uh, is the birth, the actual birth of Jesus Christ. And so as we look at this, here it is in, in Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, the Bible says, in, now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken to all of the inhabitants of the earth. This was the first census taken by Cornelius was the governor of Syria, and everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judah, uh, to, to Judea, to the city of David which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house of the family of David. In order to register among, along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child, and they were there, the, uh, and while they were there, the days were uh, completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room found for him in the end. Now, what's interesting about this is here it is in the birth narrative of Jesus Christ. Here it is, at, at, as we looked at last week, there, uh, Joseph was in his hometown of Nazareth. That's where he grew up at. That's where he spent all of his life at. And Mary also in her hometown of Nazareth. But their, 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 their lineage home, their, their, their birthplace home, uh, though it was different from their lineage home, their, their lineage home was Bethlehem because they were of the lineage of David. David. And so really, you know, when we begin to look at this, I, I think of, uh, you know, my lineage home. So people ask me all the time, well, Rusty, where did you grow up at? Well, that's an interesting question. It's kind of a trick question. My mom's from Picayune. My dad's from Bogalusa. So I consider both Picayune and Bogalusa my hometowns, even though I didn't grow up here. Amen. But I consider this to be my hometowns. And so when we look at that, we think that that was their hometown. Even though they didn't grow up there, that was their family hometown. And so when it came 
came time for this decree to come out for the census, they had to go back to their hometown of Bethlehem, to their family town, their lineage town of Bethlehem and register for this census. And so when that time came, here it was, if we're reminded, uh, Mary, she left for a little while. She went over to Elizabeth's house. Elizabeth eventually, uh, she eventually had John the Baptist. So Mary comes back home and that's when uh, they find out, hey, guess what? Mary is pregnant. She's expecting a child. And so now it's time that this uh, uh, th- that the census is taken. And so Joseph was debating whether or not he was going to divorce her. The angel then spoke to Joseph and said, this truly is an act of God. Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, but keep her a virgin until after she gives birth. And so that's exactly what he did. And so now uh, they have to go to Bethlehem. They have to go there as a married couple. They have to go and register for this census. Even though illegal marriage still had not yet taken place, they have to go as a married couple. And they're going there. And as this is taking place, uh, all of this is the sovereign act of God, the sovereign hand of God. Because it's interesting, we see the sovereignty of God in all of this. First of all, we're reminded, as we've already talked about, uh, that they are from the lineage of David. They, they come straight down. Both Joseph and Mary come from the lineage of Mary uh, of David. And so when we recognize that, here it is that the Messiah, he has to be from David, right? There's no doubt about it. We talked about that already. He has to be from David. But another interesting thing is that the Messiah, he must be born. He has to be born in this city of Bethlehem, which is the city of David. In fact, Micah chapter 5 verse 2 says this, it says, but you, Bethlehem of, of, uh, of Ephrath, ah, I can't pronounce it, Ephrath, um, my tongue is not wanting to cooperate with me this morning. Though you are little among the thousands of Judah, uh, you uh, yet out of you shall come forth to me one of one to be a ruler in Israel whose goings forth are from old from everlasting whose going forth is from old from everlasting who is this that he's speaking of? This is the Messiah. This is the Christ. This is the one that is going to sit upon the throne forever and ever and ever and ever. And his reign and his rule is not going to be like David's, where David's bones underwent decay, his body underwent decay, but he is going to be from everlasting. Another thing we can see real quick, I just, just want to mention this, that we see the sovereignty of the hands of God here Remember Luke, who is Luke? Luke is the historian, right? And so Luke is giving us a historical record. Though he is being led and anointed by the Holy Spirit to write down the very words of God, exactly what God uh, wants him to, to write, he is writing down also a historical record. And the Word of God is very much a historical record. It's much more than that. It's the Word of God, amen? And so as we look at this, though, it is a historical record. And what we find uh, we find historical fact look what luke said in verse one he said now in those days a decree went out from caesar augustus that a census be taken to all of the inhabitants of the earth okay well caesar gave many uh many decrees and many of those decrees were written down and it's, but then it goes on to tell us in verse two but this was the first census taken 
where Cornelius was the governor of Syria. So this gives us an exact time frame of when this took place and all of these things were recorded in historical facts. So Luke is saying, hey, I'm not just drawing things up out of thin air. People can't say, well, Jesus didn't really live. Jesus really lived. And he is a historical figure that is absolutely undeniable whatsoever. So what does that tell us? It tells us here the truth of the Word of God. And that is not by coincidence, but that is by divine order that the words were written down so you can look back and say, hey, you know what? This really did take place. This really did happen. This is, this is the time frame of when we can, appoint, we can point to these exact events. Here it was that not just Caesar Augustus called out this, this uh, census, this decree went out, but this was the very first one that took place while Cornelius was governor. You know, another interesting thing that history records, the historians record Josephus, the Jewish historian recorded that Caesar Augustus brought about this decree, but Cornelius took a little while doing it. Now, it wasn't that he was trying to defy the king, but all kinds of problems started arising. All kinds of things started getting in the way. He couldn't just do it right away as soon as Caesar said do it. Uh, It actually took him a few years, and I'm sure it was very frustrating to him. It was probably frustrating to Caesar, but it was things that were beyond their control you know why because God was in control and it wasn't time yet amen it wasn't time for the inhabitants of Israel to go for the descendants of David to go down to Bethlehem so it took a little while for the Jews a little longer than the rest of the world for the Jews to go to their lineage towns and it took a little while longer for Joseph and Mary to get there but guess what it was in God's perfect timing. Amen? In God's absolute perfect timing that God had all of this in absolute control. And so what we see right here, we see the sovereignty of God and who He chose to use. Now, we've already looked at Mary, we've already looked at Joseph, we've already looked at the lineage of Jesus, the family tree of Jesus, the genealogy of Jesus, we looked at the nation of Israel itself, we've looked at all those things, and absolutely every one of those, all the way back to Adam, was those that God chose to use to bring about the Messiah, but here it is, who are we seeing that God is choosing to use to bring the Messiah's family, his mother, to the city in which the Messiah was going to be born, even though she was from a little town, a little village, 90 miles away, that would have taken them quite a long time to get there, and she wouldn't have went there for any other reason except for there was a decree, and Cornelius finally said, now's the time, you gotta go, and guess what? She was pregnant, she was expecting a child, she was far along, this was not an ideal time for her to go. If she could have gotten out of it, she would have said, absolutely no, I'm not going. This is not the best time for me, (laughs) right? And so she would have done anything she could have done, but she had to go. But who did God use to get them there? The wicked Romans. 
The very people of which the Jews despised. I mean, they hated the Romans. They called them dogs. Amen. And, and when I mean they called them dogs, they weren't talking about Fluffy or Toto. Amen. They, they, they were looking at them as, as vicious, wild, disgusting animals. That's what they were looking at them at. And they called them dogs. And so they were people that they absolutely despised. Here it was that the Jews during this Roman day were occupied. They were occupied by Rome. They didn't have any freedom of their own. They had to do what Rome told them to do and they were treated very harshly. They were treated very cruelly. They were taxed way beyond their means and you talk about taxation without representation. That's exactly what was going on there and so as an occupied people they had to comply or else and here it was that even though Caesar gave the decree years earlier, it took a little while, took a few years for Cornelius to finally get the groundwork for it to happen and for them to go. And you can imagine how major of a job that this would have been for them to get all of the inhabitants of all of the land, each one to go back to their uh, the, to their ancestral city. And so finally it took place. And no doubt there was a lot of frustration up on them, but God used the Romans to do it the very people that the Jews despised they were unclean people they, they, they were filthy people as far as as far as the Jews can, were concerned that they were the most vile of all people as far as the Jews were concerned they were a ruthless people they were a brutal people they were an oppressive people they were pagans Pagans that was living in the land of Israel, pagans that were living in their own cities, pagans that were doing their pagan rituals and probably setting up pagan altars right there in their land, and they despise that, but there wasn't a thing in the world that they could do about it. Even Caesar Augustus, of who we read about right here, Caesar himself was considered to be a god, but the very name Augustus isn't really a name in and of itself. It's actually a title, and that title means the majestic one. I'm sure even for them to say that, churn their stomach. Caesar, Augustus, Caesar, the, the majestic one. This just makes me sick of my stomach just to even say those words, Right? And so here it was, him giving this decree that they had to go to their ancestral city, their city of lineage, and they had to go and get uh, and register for this census. And what was the census all about? The census was all about taxation. Amen? They were going to register so that they could have their names written down so that the Romans would know who to tax. <laughs> How many's in your home? That's how many we're, that's how much we're going to tax you, right? And so they did this, and, and, and it was despised of the Romans that they even had to pay taxes to them. In fact, we find in the Word of God, Mark chapter 12, here it is, that some, some uh, Pharisees came up to Jesus. They were trying to trick him, and they were trying to say, hey, should we, pay, should we give taxes? Well, they didn't have a choice, right? But spiritually speaking, should we give taxes? Right? Should we pay taxes? He said, you got a coin? Yeah. Got a coin. Whose image is on there? 
Oh, that's Caesar's image. Why did they put Caesar's image on there? Because the Romans worshipped him. So to even have one of his coins, you had to have his image on there. Right? Well, what did Jesus say? Render unto Caesar's what's Caesar's and render unto God what's God's. Amen? But they despise that. People like Matthew that was a tax gatherer, they despised them, considered them to be traitors, but God used them in a phenomenal way to be able to get Mary and Joseph to their ancestral city <coughs> to where they could be have the census in order to be taxed. But ultimately, it was the sovereign hand of God getting them there because that's where the Messiah was to be born. Amen? That's the only place the Messiah could be born. You know, another interesting thing about that, you know what they use those taxes for? They use those taxes for a lot of things, but they built roads. They built roads everywhere. The Romans were good at building roads. In fact, a lot of those roads are still there. You can still get to those roads to this very day, and the roads went everywhere. You know, the good thing about that is by the time uh, the, the, uh, by the time Jesus came along and by the time Jesus was buried, by the time Jesus rose up again, there was Roman roads everywhere. You know the importance of that? That means the gospel went everywhere. With ease. That was also the sovereign hand of God at work. You think the Romans saw that by themselves? No, God gave them that wisdom. God gave them that unction. He, God knew that his disciples, his apostles, they were going to need those roads. Amen? So he used these wicked, vile people to fulfill his purpose. And so we look out in the world today and say, man, our government today is wicked. Our government today is vile. We have a wicked, vile government. Amen? And we say, well, how in the world would God allow such a wicked and vile government? But guess what? God can use them. Amen? God can use them. You know why? Because He's almighty, He's all-powerful, and He's a sovereign God. Amen? I don't understand it all. I don't get it all. Mary and Joseph didn't understand it all. They didn't get it all, but that's okay. All we need to know is that God's in control. Amen? God's in control. He is not in partial control. He is in absolute control. Things may catch us off guard and catch us by surprise, but absolutely nothing catches God off guard and catches God by surprise. We also see in this in their very journey. Oh, it's amazing when you trace the journey that they would have taken from Nazareth to, uh, to, to Bethlehem, it's amazing to see this journey, the way in which they, they, they would have gone, one of the very first places that they would have gone to when they left Nazareth on their journey to, about 90-mile journey to, uh, to uh, Bethlehem. One of the very first places they would have went to was Shiloh. Well, what happened biblically in Shiloh, there it was that Hannah asked the Lord for a child. It was there that Hannah prayed to God for a child, and as Hannah prayed to God for a child, God 
gave her that child, and God, and, and she named that child Samuel. Samuel sat in the position of being the judge at uh, uh, of Israel, and guess where he did that at? He went through Gilgal, and that would have been the next location that they would have traveled through, and it was there in Gilgal that in 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 1, that Samuel, the, uh, God prophesied, uh, God, God spoke to him, and he said this to King David in 1 Samuel 16, 1. Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go, and I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have selected a king for myself among the sons. So guess where Samuel would have left and went to? He would have left Gilgal, and he went and went to Bethlehem. And now it is that Mary and Joseph, Mary who is expecting the very Son of God, would have basically traveled the same path in the same direction that Samuel would have went down to anoint David as king. Followed his very footsteps. The sovereignty of the hand of God within this. They also would have traveled through Bethel. And what, what's the importance, what's the significance of Bethel? We find there in Genesis chapter 28, that is where Jacob fell down and he let, rested his head upon a rock and he went to sleep and he had a dream. And in that dream he saw a ladder that went all the way up into heaven. And as he saw that ladder go all the way up into heaven, he saw angels ascending and descending upon that. And there it was that Joseph and Mary would have passed right through Bethel. Well, what's the significance of that? That. It was Jesus who told Nathaniel in John chapter 1 and verse 51, he said that you will see the angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. That Jesus is the very fulfillment of Jacob's dream. How awesome is that? And they walked right through it. They walked right through it on their journey to Bethlehem. And so as they went through Bethlehem, they no doubt would have went through Jerusalem and traveled through Jerusalem. And no doubt they most likely would have went out into the valley right in front of Jerusalem and passed right in front of Golgotha. Though it meant nothing to Mary and Joseph at the time, it would have great significance 33 years later. Amen? We know that that's the place of the skull, the place of Calvary, the very place that Jesus would die for the sins of all mankind. They didn't understand it. They didn't know all of the things that God had in store. It was a very sovereign hand of God, and they had six more miles to journey where they finally made it to Bethlehem. Oh, Bethlehem, what's the significance of Bethlehem? Bethlehem. The, the, the actual meaning of the name Bethlehem, what is it? It's the city of bread or the house of bread. That's the place the Messiah was to be born, the very house of bread. Jesus said in John chapter 6 and verse 48, He said, I am the bread of life. Amen? I'm the bread of life that was born in the house of bread. All by the sovereign hand of Almighty God. But we also see the sovereignty of God's hand and God's timing. All of this was perfect timing. Couldn't have happened 
two years before. It couldn't have happened two months before. Couldn't have happened two months after. Couldn't have happened at any other time other than this exact time. Look here at verse 6 in Luke chapter 2. Verse 6, it says, while they were while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. Now the wording here, especially as you look at it in the original language, the wording here is that it was, it's not just that we're, well, it was time for her to have the baby. Not what it's saying. It says those days, those final days. Not a week. Not a month. But days. Those final days were completed for her to have the baby. We'll also see further evidence that they'd only been there for a short time. We know that Jesus was born in a stable, laid in a manger. Guess what? They wouldn't have been there a lengthy amount of time. I'm sure Mary was saying, Joseph, you better find us a place, and you better find us a place right now. Amen? <laughs> she, she, she probably wasn't all too happy about the situation. In fact, we find in Matthew that when the wise men came, those three wise men that we just spoke about the Bible didn't specifically say three. They gave three types of gifts. When those magi, those wise men, they came to visit Jesus. Of course, Jesus was probably about two years old by that time. They were in a house by then. Amen? So the stable was only temporary. So they were only there a very short amount of time when Mary gave birth. Now, if Mary would have gave birth, say, I can't make it to Bethlehem, we're going to have to stop off in Shiloh, he couldn't have been the Messiah. She said, Joseph, as far as I go, we've got to stop off in Gilgal. He couldn't have been the Messiah. Even if they would have stopped in the capital city, Mount Zion, Jerusalem, even if they would have stopped there, they could have went right in front of the temple and she could have had Jesus right then and there. He could not have been the Messiah. But the absolute sovereign hand of God said, here's the place. Mary, I know you're not going to want to go. <laughs> so I'm going to direct the Romans to get you there. You're not going to be real excited about it. It's going to be a miserable trip for you. I'm sorry, but this is where the Messiah has got to be born. And the sovereign hand of God fulfilled everything that needed to be done. You know, we could memorize the Bible backwards and forwards. We could say this is everything that the Messiah is supposed to do, supposed to do it here, supposed to do it there, supposed to do it here. But you know, if we could know that, we, we could have all of that fully known. The circumstance and situation is always going to get in our way. Amen? Just like Cornelius had the decree from Caesar, it's time to give a census, but he couldn't do it right then and there. 
All kinds of things kept getting in the way, all kinds of circumstances and events and weather, who knows, you know, all kinds of stuff just kept getting in the way. But when God says this is the place, that's the place and nobody's getting in the way. And when God says this is the time, well, that's the time and nobody's going to prevent God's time. Amen? So you had the right family, you had the right place, and you had the right time, and in God's perfect timing, the Messiah was born. A gift to the whole world, to you. In fact, the Bible says in the fullness of time. Time was full, the time was complete. In the same way with the second coming, He's going to come in absolute perfect time. Not my time, not your time, not when somebody else says it's time, but when God says it's time. Amen? When God says it's time. Those were reminded of those truths. You might look at your life today and say, my life's a mess. Everything's a mess. Especially this time of year. I mean, this is just a messy time of year, isn't it? We get caught up in all of the rigmarole of, of, of what we call Christmas. You know, we was, listening, we was going to see Christmas lights the other night. We was listening to a secular, move, uh, um, secular uh, radio station, and um, there was this song, never heard it before. It kept saying, this is what Christmas is all about, and they were naming off all kinds of stuff. I said, no, that's not what Christmas is all about. Not even close. Christmas is all about Jesus Period, end of subject. Nothing else needs to be said. Amen? So when we think about that, get caught up in all of the busyness, all of the hectic stuff. Maybe your job's crazy. Maybe things are going crazy in your family right now. Things out of your control and you've tried fixing it. you tried making it right. Just sit down. Trust God and know He's got it. Don't know how. Don't know when. Don't know where. That's okay. Because sometimes if we knew the who, what, when, and where, we would try to do it on our own, wouldn't we? <laughs> God told Abraham, hey, you're going you're to be the father of many nations. And so Abraham said, okay, let's go do this on our own. Guess what? It messed we're still paying for that today. Amen? Messed things up. So it's okay if we don't know the who, what, when, and where. God does. And we just trust in Him. Amen? So then there's this busy time of year, crazy time of year. Just trust Him. Amen? Just trust Him. In your crazy life, we have instant everything in this Crazy life, but we don't have time for anything, do we? Everything's chaotic. Just trust in Him. Right now as the praise team comes up, as everybody stands, you, you, you have to know Him before you could trust Him. You have to have a personal relationship before you could trust Him. If you've got chaos going on in your life right now, 
I'd love to pray with you about that. This altar's open. You can come and pray. You can make that chair you're at right now. You can make that an altar. Turn to somebody next to you. Say, hey, would you pray for me? But friends, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're missing out on the greatest of all gifts. Amen? Come to know Him today. If you don't already. Well, I don't know what to do. Come on down here. I'll be glad to tell you. But it's very simple. All you have to do is place your faith in Him. That's it. Just place your faith in Him. I don't even know what that means. Come on down. I'll be happy to talk to you about that. Standing right here. You come. Maybe your life's chaotic because you haven't been trusting in Him. Well, today, as we begin this song of invitation, you as a Christian, you as a child of God, would you repent and get right back where you need to be? You come as God leads you.